Pushkin. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase and a member FDIC 2024 J.P. Morgan Chase and Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The next day, when I was just very casually in my office, just like prepping for a lecture, when I got a phone call in my office that I had stage four cancer and that I was going to have to walk from my office to the hospital to check myself in for an emergency procedure, and who knows what. Like, just, it felt, uh, I don't think I'll ever experience time moving quite so slowly because it was the horror of it. It was like the, my life is, whatever this is, it's, it's, I could feel it go, you know? Like, it's all, it's all gone now. That's Kate Bowler, a professor of Christianity at Duke's Divinity School describing the moment she found out she had stage 4 colon cancer at age 35. Kate was shocked, not only by the diagnosis, but by her reaction to it and what it revealed to her about her faith. I spent years studying people who believe that they deserve what they get, and I, I never once imagined myself to be that kind of person. Because, you know, I'm part of this faith tradition which would never use the word deserve, and then when I could hear myself saying, but aren't I kind of a good person? It was like that That bit was so deeply humbling. That felt like like I, like I the shirt got turned inside out and I could just see all the seams of everything. And, and I realized like, oh, things, things come apart. On today's episode, a religious scholar re-examines her own faith as she reckons with a cancer diagnosis. I'm Maya Shunker, and this is A Slight Change of Plans, a show about who we are and who we become in the face of a big change.
Kate Bowler grew up in a Christian family of Mennonites in Manitoba, Canada. She's always had a strong Christian faith, which for her has included the belief that everything happens for a reason. But as a religious scholar, Kate studied a different branch of Christianity called the Prosperity Gospel, known for its megachurches and televangelist preachers like Jim and Tammy Faye Baker and Joel Osteen. The Prosperity Gospel preaches that if you pray hard enough and your faith in God is strong, you deserve health, wealth, and happiness, and will be rewarded with those things during your life here on earth. Kate never believed in this idea of people deserving things, or so she thought until her cancer diagnosis revealed to her that she had been buying into her own kind of prosperity gospel all along. And this realization surprised Kate and led her to re-examine not only this belief, but also some of her more foundational beliefs, like whether everything really does happen for a reason. Kate and I started off our conversation by talking about the prosperity gospel, which had been the focus of her scholarly research for over a decade. It's a set of beliefs about the power of the mind to change your life, that if you have the right kind of positive words and the right kind of mental attitude, that you can bring health and wealth and overall happiness like in, during your life here on earth. And that's always the kind of like caveat because, you know, Christianity typically has a kind of asterisk beside it that says, yes, God is good. Yes, God is loving. Yes, God wants wholeness and love for you, but but you may not get to see all of your hopes come to fruition, that all good things then get kind of deferred to an afterlife. But the prosperity gospel has um, what we call a, like a an overrealized sense that all things will happen now for us who believe. So it's a really, it's an incredibly confident set of beliefs that says that you don't need to suffer. You don't even need to be lucky because there will always be a way for you to figure out how to land on your feet. And what do you think drew you to that subject matter? I was really looking around for kind of an idea to fall in love with. And I, I didn't think, though, that I would mostly just pick something because it made me unbelievably angry. But I was a huge rage fest when, it, when I had my like first encounter with the prosperity gospel. I thought, who did this to us? Why are Canadians, because I grew up in Canada, and I was like, why are Canadians into this? And I, I was I was honestly kind of a dick about it. I was condescending, treating it kind of a like a car accident that I needed to really uncover and explore. It would take me a number of years even just to kind of settle into a, a sense that it was like not just a, a heresy, like a set of incorrect beliefs, but like a worldview that I wanted to understand. So so some of your, your curiosity or, or interest in diving into this was around really just calling bullshit on it. Is that, yes, is that accurate? It really was. Okay. So, so you end up writing a, this book ironically called Blessed, uh, which, which yeah. chronicles the entire history of the prosperity gospel. Um, it, it seems like Kate Bowler's life is also feeling pretty blessed, right? Yeah. Lots of things are falling into place. You you get your dream job at Duke's Divinity School. And after years of infertility, you and your husband, Tobin, have this beautiful baby yeah. boy named Zach, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, first of all, I still resonate with those moments in life where you're like, ah, I finally yeah. got it. And you That's almost want to like, you want to like capture it in your hands and put it into a bottle so yes. that like no one can ever touch it. Yeah. I, you're like, I stuck the landing. Like yeah. there was, yeah, you can feel yourself just hit it. And I, I couldn't, be, I couldn't believe that it all lined up. Like I was just, I had this 
gorgeous university job after having, you know, grown up in the shadow of, you know, it always looked like the University of Manitoba was like constantly financing Stalinist architecture. Like I, when my parents saw the campus, they were like, I, if you ever leave this place, I will murder you. Like <laughs> I, I felt so lucky yeah. to be in this gorgeous place and finally have this smushy little, you know, baby that smells like cookies all the time. And uh, I really thought, then this, this is my life. Like I could see it stretch out. I was going to write all these books. I was going to have an office with, like, gargoyle bookends, which I had a lot of strong feelings about. Like, I was going to have all these grateful graduate students. Like, this was the site of my life. And I didn't mean to be as arrogant as that sounds, but, like, I was, like, really locked into this beautiful dream. And it, it like, felt so good to me. I guess I, for so long... I had been paying into this imagined future and I, all of it, all the like grind of it, the, and now you just have to write 600 words and they better be footnoted properly. Like all the deferring felt like I, I was like this accountant and I was just gonna, I was having this, I would like add it all up and then I would hit this moment and like, congratulations me. (laughs) <laughs> like all great math, right? Yeah. You go to the store, you give them your voucher <laughs> yes. and you're like, okay, here it is. <laughs> I'm gonna take a yeah, I'll have yeah. my withdrawal now. Thanks. Yeah. I put yeah. in I put in all that work. Yeah. Wow. I'm wondering if you can take me back to to what it was like at age thirty five when when your life just turns completely upside down. I, I started getting really severe stomach pains and I immediately went to my doctor and I said, this seems really kind of very out of proportion. And then she said, well, I, you know, you're young. I, I don't think it's that much, uh, but let me, let me refer you to this specialist. And I got bounced around between specialists with an increasing sense of panic. Like I was chugging Pepto-Bismol. I was doubled over with pain and I had such an intense grin and bear it. It never really occurred to me that I could, like, press the emergency button, you know, that I was allowed to lose it because I was so good at trying. So when I finally was supposed to get a surgery for what they thought was, like, a faulty gallbladder, and then they said, well, the tests don't show quite enough to warrant that kind of surgery, I just fucking lost it. I just, I couldn't handle the boredom on the surgeon's face and the, the, the panic that I was experiencing that no one that it was it was a it was half a year in that no one was going to take me seriously. And so I just I just yelled in a very un-Canadian way and I was like you're going to give me a scan and I'm not leaving. Like I'm just not leaving until you figure out something else for me. And uh and I I really thought it was just going to be like an inconvenience. So the next day when I was just very casually in my office just like prepping for a lecture when I got a phone call in my office that I had stage four cancer and that I was going to have to walk from my office to the hospital to check myself in for an emergency procedure and who knows what. Like just, it felt, uh, I don't think I'll ever experience time moving quite so slowly because it was the horror of it. It was like the, my life is, whatever this is, it's it's I could feel it go, you know, like it's all it's all gone now. I uh, I didn't realize that life can turn so quickly 
and that like whatever plans you have like don't count. So all I said was, um, but I have a son. Like I was arguing with her, you know, because she sounded so bored. And when I met her after the surgery to just check on some staples, she said, uh, how are you? And I said, um, actually, it's been really hard. And she said, well, the sooner you get used to the idea of dying, the better. And that was the uh, that was the strange brutality of this like threshold moment that like there was a before and an after in my life and that I was going to have to figure out how to live in the after. But I just genuinely didn't know how. Kate, I'm 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 trying to trying to understand in that moment how long it took for the news to really penetrate because when you have that kind of whiplash like yeah what was that i mean i uh, it felt honestly it felt immediate to me wow it felt okay. like it was my job to learn to let go as fast as i could but i didn't know what i was letting go of like the first thing you have to let go of is your body like I walk into the hospital, I get admitted, I have to take off my dress, and it was the dress that I loved to lecture in. And I remember looking at it and thinking, I don't know if I'll ever get to wear this again. And and you put on a gown, and they will shave you and paint you, and, and you'll feel the, the heaviness of your limbs when they strap you down. And you'll be awake for so much of it that you, you have to tell yourself, like, it is my job to let go. But none of it makes any sense. Like, I couldn't picture not going home. When do I get to go home? I couldn't picture not being able to pick up my son because I was going to wake up with all these incisions. And then when I woke up, there was... I just remember how sad everyone was. And then a night when I was by myself, and I realized it was the first time I'd been alone with a doctor where I could just ask questions. And so that's when I said, um, hey... Like, not to bug you or anything, but, like, nobody's told me if I'm going to live. And to be honest, I don't totally understand, like, where all the cancer was or went. He was like, well, I can only tell you by recounting the statistical average of someone with your diagnosis. And he said, well, that, like, survival amounts to 14%, a 14% chance of survival. And that uh, survival meant two years. Um. So I want to I want to dig into what your first reaction to this news was in in terms of like zooming out at the thirty thousand foot yeah. view because I've read that you you know you were like but I'm I'm like special and like don't Aren't I have I a kind person? of a good person yeah, <laughs> yeah. there is yeah that's so funny that's right because there was like a weird double reaction holy crap of course it's me and this other version that was like the middle class hustler that was like hadn't I worked really hard. Aren't I kind of a, like a reasonably nice, decent person who, and then I want so much to say like deserve, like who deserves to have this beautiful life and hadn't I earned it somehow? And then I was back to that, like the math, like I, I made everything add up and now, and now you're telling me that like, I, like I'm going to be the one that doesn't make it. I, f- I felt really outraged. <laughs> and um, 
it's just so funny because, you know, I'm part of this faith tradition, which would never use the word deserve. I'm not even American. And I realized, like, I had such a deeply American belief that my individual effort, my hustle and hard work, my my sort of inherent deservedness and finding that relationship between hard work and success, that I I didn't even leave room for the possibility that you can do all the right things and and that and that and that you can be deeply unlucky. And like I spent years studying people who believe that they deserve what they get. And I I never once imagined myself to be that kind of person. And then when I could hear myself saying, but aren't I kind of a good person? Like, do you do you see this personality in motion? I am working hard. I just like it it was uh it was like that that bit was so deeply humbling. That felt like like I like the shirt got turned inside out and I could just see all the seams of everything and and I realized like, oh things things come apart. Say more about that. Yeah. I I guess um One of the strangest parts about being lucky, I suppose, not knowing that you're lucky, believing that every one of your actions is, is supposed to add up to more and more and more, is that um, is that you begin to feel like you've earned your life, deserved your life, that you don't even need luck, like you bulldoze a path. And over the years, I have steadily built up a belief system that said that I am the solution to every problem. I'm the center that holds. I'm the thing that acts. I will make my own destiny. And and that if I can't, then, you know, in this culture that always says, you know, there's not, there's no setbacks, there's just set ups. You know, people are always like closing doors, opening windows, that all of these kind of cultural cliches and aphorisms were there too explained to me that pain was just like a like a tripping hazard or a lesson and that it was my job to learn the lesson in order to overcome but that there was never a version in which I was going to lose or else if you lose then you're a loser if you fail to make that dream come true like you really only have yourself to blame and that feeling set in really quickly we'll be right back with a slight change of plans. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase, NA member FDIC, 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. Should you send that email you wrote while you were mad? Probably not. Probiotics can't help with all of your gut decisions. But if your gut needs a little support, Ritual has your back. 
food choices, stress, or travel can throw off your gut health. That's where Ritual comes in. They made a three-in-one supplement called Symbiotic Plus with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. I make sure to take my Symbiotic Plus every morning, and I always appreciate that it's in a single minty capsule. Ritual prioritizes sustainably sourced ingredients and lower carbon packaging for its products, which is another reason I feel good about taking Symbiotic Plus. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash slight. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash slight for 25% off. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. I'm talking with Kate Bowler, a religious scholar at Duke University. She was 35 years old when doctors told Kate she had stage 4 colon cancer and that her chance of survival was just 14%. But then doctors told Kate she may or may not qualify for some novel immunotherapies that could significantly increase her chance of survival. They said I might be part of the 90% of people who just receive chemotherapy and with a diagnosis like mine would likely die within six months or um, part of a 7% whose cancer would multiply unabated and there would be no point in doing treatment anyway. Or that I might be part of a 3% chance whose particular condition would open me up to being able to try some of these novel immunotherapies that were being tested. So I just, because I you know, am in the humanities, I was like, oh, okay, so I could probably die, I could absolutely die, or I could have magic cancer. And he was like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so I was like, great. So when I got like a phone call a couple weeks later that just said, um, turns out you have the magic cancer, <laughs> I was so I was so thrilled. Because <laughs> um even though even though most of the people who were in that cohort wouldn't respond to the immunotherapy, I might. I might. And so it was like the very first chance that there might be like a future for me. Yeah. I want to know whether you know you get this devastating cancer diagnosis and all of a sudden this this belief you've had along which is, you know, I'm special, I'm Kate, I'm a good person, I I'm nice to people, um it starts to dissipate. But then you get this news that you do have the magic cancer, which you could imagine could seduce you back into this older right. way of thinking. Yeah, and I think I, I, I felt like I was sometimes surrounded by that because people wanted to, you know, because the people who love you are delusional, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. And they start, and we all start lying, you know? We're like, well, you know, it's going to be a miracle and God's going to find a way or science is going to find a way. Like, we, we have all these hyper 
causalities that we then assume that because I am a somehow special person and they just mean, you know, because they love me and my death would be unthinkable, my death would end a world, right? It's just the way the way we love. Uh, and so th- people really wanted to believe that I was going to be part of this. You have to live. And I, I immediately, I didn't want to do it. I, I didn't want to do it. And, and by not wanting to do it, what you mean is you didn't want to revert back into the old way of thinking that, yeah, I am special and I, I am exceptional and I deserve uh, what I put in, what I put into this life. Yeah. And um, I felt like I'd learned something I didn't want to unlearn. And my, like, precarity, the feeling of, like, teetering, I just felt like it was letting me see other things I hadn't seen before. And I don't, I know, I know it sounds, like, strange, at least it's just to me, but, like, I, I found myself saying stuff like, I don't want to go back. And, of course, like, I wanted to go back. I would have loved to go back to, like, a healthy, delusional person I was before. But, like, I felt like knowing then that the world can come undone. It like opened up in me a capacity to love other people in their precarity that I didn't I didn't know before. And I felt like the strange, shimmery kind of matrix feeling you get when you feel the truth of something. And and that uh, felt so precious, so fucking precious that like I, that after that, I was more just trying to find the right relationship to hope without returning to the like that I deserve my life. You know, you talk about how in that moment there's this there's this tension, right, of you both want to to reoccupy the delusional state of mind because what a <laughs> what a safe and joyful place to occupy, right? Yes, totally. But on the other hand, you do feel like confronting the truth or what you believe to be the truth, what I believe to be the truth, um, allows you to create a kind of empathy for others in their pain, um, in their suffering that you might not have been able to. I, I want to know whether there was also in that moment or, or since then, whether you felt that there was also an advantage to you of not rebuying mm. that lie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I just felt like I can't afford to hope right now. Like, I mean, I can't afford to take on a certainty that I'd have to take back. I do notice that people who've really been through something are very frequently very careful in the way that we both tell a story and and then as if we don't want to say things that have to be unsaid. So, uh, yeah, someone once called it like um, the fellowship of the afflicted. I always thought that was such like a lovely way of, because you can feel that badge of belonging sometimes when we're not sloppy with our language. We don't hope for things. We don't hope for everything. We are, our hopes are like precious little gems. And if we have them, we hold on tight, but we don't hope for everything. So, so it almost felt like a a self-protective instinct then in that moment to think, look, I, if I buy into this again, well, then in four weeks, if I find out the immunotherapy doesn't work and I have to leave Zach, well, then what? What what story do I tell myself then? Yeah, that's So right. it's too flimsy a ground. I see. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I was like, I had just started treatment when I started trying to understand why I felt like I was living such a contradiction that like, that I had wanted to believe in a world in which I deserve what I get. And yet I was like here stuck with these terrible 60-day intervals of life and like and not guaranteed anymore and so I wrote a short piece and a friend who had a a friend at the New York Times encouraged me to send it in and then it got published which 
I was not in any way prepared for because I had been trying to write this little piece that was like, um, hey, sometimes I I think I believed that everything was going to happen for a reason and that my life was going to have an order to it. And now I can see that sometimes you have to live without quite so many reasons for the things that happen to you. And then I got just like hundreds and hundreds and thousands of messages of people explaining to me why I deserved what I got. And it was, it ranged, it was a wide range of reasons for uh, like, surely I have committed some terrible sin. God is just to let me die. You know, God has created a mystery and I have to live inside of it faithfully. So a lot of like the, I am unfaithful for being angry at the unfairness of it. And then of course, there's all the just like, um, well-meaning wellness people who are there to explain to me why every smoothie or every failure to accept a nutritional supplement is like the reason for my impending death. And so I guess like, it's just funny because I like I had tried so hard to live without quite so many reasons. I feel like ever since all I've been doing is drowning in them. Uh, we had a neighbor come to the door one day and try to lovingly bring food, but also... Um, explained to my husband, Toman, that that everything happens for a reason. Like, you know, she said it like a throwaway. Well, everything happens for a reason. And he just looked at her dead-eyed and was like, oh, I'd love to hear it. Like, I'd love to hear the reason my wife is dying. And it it was a good, um, she like <laughs> scampered away. And I, I'm, and now I, now I say the obligatory, I'm sure she meant well. But the, um, the desire to pour reasons into the void. It's just like, it feels irresistible, I think, sometimes. And I think that's part of the insanity of living in this culture, is every suffering person feels like we have to explain what's happening to us as if our lives are an indictment. It's it's also so striking to me because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm 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 imagining that there's this influx of letters coming from people all over the world who are saying, okay, let me explain to you why. Yeah. And on the one hand, you feel so, I mean, your, your sensibilities are so offended by all of this. Like, what the <laughs> yes. hell? Why are you, no, sorry, random person in Ann Arbor. Like, you don't actually get to explain <laughs> my suffering, right? Yes. But then on the other hand, it feels like maybe pre-cancer diagnosis, Kate, yeah. might have wanted to do exactly the same thing that they were doing for you now. Like, yeah. maybe you would have wanted to explain away someone else's suffering just to, just, right, yeah. to find meaning in it. And it, and it, and wouldn't, it, and it might not even sound like, oh, what did they do? It might be like, well, how, how old was she? Was she married? Did she have a kid? How many kids? Uh, how long have she, has she been married? What does she do? Like just the the accounting, the feeling that in times of suffering, everybody's an accountant trying to tally up each other's life and our significance and and therefore how sad they should be. Yeah, it's like quantifying the loss. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, that's so interesting. Were you able to, again, I could imagine just being infuriated by some of these messages, like, you know what, you drink the organic smoothie, okay? <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think I was most mad at I think I was most mad at other Christians because I felt like they were supposed to be my like my soft place to fall. We have great compassionate, you know, chunks of scripture that are four moments like this, like the book of Job. You're supposed to be able to say like there are no words 
there are no words for this kind of like undoing, but instead I got a lot of like, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. Soon you'll go home to heaven. And I just remember being like, oh, maybe you want to go home first. <laughs> I just felt like so snarky <laughs> about it. No, after, after you. Yeah, after yeah, you. yeah. No, I mean, I wouldn't want to get in your way here. I think especially um, it, it just kind of raised a lot of questions for me about like, what would a what would a faithful person do in a situation like this? Like, if I was more faithful, would I have a certain kind of peace or confidence? Would I would I be more able to let go? Um, and I, it just felt like a lie though to me that I should look at my my like little toddler with his giant guppy eyes that like I was supposed to look at look at him and say that like his life would still somehow be as good if I weren't there to be his mom and I there's just the the like hollowness of all those reasons just made the whole thing um just so like deeply like spiritually emotionally like unsatisfying so I was like, yeah, I mean, you can say all kinds of things, but like, don't lie to me. Like, there's no world in which I, I shouldn't be this kid's mom. Yeah. I'm wondering, Kate, whether um, it was the diagnosis itself that led you to kind of examine what lies you had believed up until that point, um, or whether it was having these beliefs kind of aggressively thrown in your face through this op-ed that that most led you to challenge. And maybe they both played a role, but not as many people get that second experience where all the things that they might have thought to want to do for others or themselves is suddenly in your face from others in the throes of your own horrible, horrible experience, right? Yeah, to be like the observer of and yeah. then the subject of immediately. And it did really become both like a source of tremendous pain but also like a real I feel like all for me any good project like something I'm really interested in trying to understand and study also feels like it's it's the heart of a question that I'm openly struggling against and for me it was um how how much how much truly is in our control like what kind of account of agency are we allowed to give in a moment where like all odds are against you because I, I wanted to know the answer like how much am I supposed to save my own life right now? Or am I just supposed to, you know, let go and let God? And because over the next couple years, what I would eventually find is that I would have to try to save my own life a million more times. And that like surrender was just never going to be um, just like wise. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Kate, because I feel like... Um... At some point, I, I did away with the view that things in my life were happening for a reason. It's, it's been so long now. I, I no longer, I no longer even remember what it was like to have that kind of psychological safety net in a moment of crisis. And um, I'm curious to know, you know, that that discovery was was more recent for you. And and I just wonder what it's what it's like to. To no longer have that. I mean, yeah, it's so comforting. It's so comforting, and it, it's it's like one of those things where, like, I've thought about this, and I wonder if you you've had similar thoughts. It's like, okay, I don't believe everything happens for a reason, but like, would I secretly want my kid to believe it just for <laughs> yes, their own sake? Totally. Like, would yeah. I want Zach? Like, do I kind of want Kate's son Zach to believe this just just so that he can 
ease like it could ease the the depth of his pain. I- yeah, I think the the problem with the everything happens for reason is th- that hypersynthetic coherence that it demands that everything have. On the other hand, I do believe in a big story about love, you know, in which like in our worst moments we are promised the love of one another that we can like show up and be the person that brings socks and dumb presents and you know like i have such an intense belief now that love is one of the only guarantees in the awful times and i guess i always think of that now as like what is you know after like the <laughs> after we've cleared away all the everything happens for a reason like i really i believe that in the worst moments of our life that love is there i have never fallen and not felt it like even when i hit the ground so that is that feels to me like not just a hope but like a like a thing i'd be willing to guarantee my kid is like even if i was gone even if the worst thing happened like even if i don't get to arrange a future in which we all get to be together like i i know that love will be there and that uh that feels like a truth well earned wow yeah that's that's beautiful um and it sounds like you're you're still in the business at least of constructing meaning for yourself, <laughs> right? Like yeah. like to find the for a reason in the everything happens. Yes, um that's you know, right. even if the universe Ryan, necessarily so <laughs> even if the universe necess- didn't necessarily have that as a plan for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I do. I that's a really perfect way of putting it. But I yeah. Yeah, because on the other side of hypercausality is not like nihilism or despair. I think it's just like more empathy for one another. Like if we really know that there is not like an, a, a fail-safe rescue plan for everybody's pain, I think we would sure as hell show up a little faster for one another and believe in systems and good policies that that prevent so much of human suffering in the first place. Yeah. Would you say that, you know, one of the goals of your book and, and being a religious historian is is showing that you can also find some safety and permanence in a world where you don't have those beliefs? Has that been kind of your yeah. mission? Okay. Yes. Yeah, I really like that. Also, just aside, you're so smart and it's just so fun to talk to such a smart person. Oh, I'm serious. Thank you. It makes it so fun. Like I just like it makes you stop. I'm like stopping all the time because I want to come up with a better answer. You know, you don't deserve a shitty answer. I want to have like a better one. It's so sweet. But like I want people to not need a prosperity gospel to move forward. Mm, I really I love do. That. I think that we have outsourced solutions to each other's pain when we forgot that we belonged to each other. Assuming that if there's enough for everybody, that we don't have to make more for each other. I think with the right, when you when you can pour in other people, you can pour in the knowledge that you will never be really truly be alone, that there is love there waiting for you. I don't think we'll need quite so many reasons anymore. Kate and I recorded this conversation in early 2022, six years after she was first diagnosed. K 
Kate continues to respond positively to her immunotherapy treatments and receives scans every six months. Join me next week when I talk to Ethan Cross, an expert on the science of introspection and how our inner voice can be a double-edged sword. He gives us strategies for how we can rein in that inner voice when it turns negative and becomes what he calls chatter. So something bad happens, we turn our attention inward to try to make sense of the problem, but we get stuck in a negative thought loop. That's what I call chatter. You keep on trying to think and work through the problem, but you don't make any progress. A Slight Change of Plans is created, written, and executive produced by me, Maya Shunker. The Slight Change family includes Tyler Green, our senior producer, Emily Rostek, our producer and fact checker, Jen Guerra, our senior editor, Ben Tolliday, our sound engineer, and Mia LaBelle, our executive producer. Luis Guerra wrote our theme song, and Ginger Smith helped arrange the vocals. A Slight Change of Plans is a production of Pushkin Industries, so big thanks to everyone there including Nicole Morano, Maggie Taylor, Eric Sandler, Heather Fain, and Carly Migliori. And of course, a very special thanks to Jimmy Lee. You can follow A Slight Change of Plans on Instagram at Dr. Maya Shunker. Tyler's back, so I feel like there's an audio issue. This one is headphones, and this one is looks like a microphone. I'm going to sing all by myself while I do it, just so you can get this go. All by myself. How's this feeling? Does it change at all? Don't want to be all by myself. It's really helping when I'm singing it, I feel. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at T-Mobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there.